Welcome to Rajni Podcast. As we enter February, I'm just reminded of the expectations that it may bring. In the States, we have Valentine's Day and all the, you know, all it refers to are that special someone in our lives. But also, February is a time that World Cancer Day is um, kind of reminded. And their theme this year is close the care gap as they recognize the power of working together. Provide Ministries wants to expand that idea of connecting to our support. Today we have a new guest, Dr. Reshe, and I'm just so so glad you were patient with me. And as we kind of progress forward, technology does happen, but we're just, just I'm just happy to continue the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for first of all being so generous in saying that uh, it was your and not mine, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to return the compliment, thank you for having me on your show. It's it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. No problem. I want to share with those listening around the world. Um, disclaimer, if you are in crisis, please seek help. You know, sometimes that might be the hardest thing for us to do, but whatever resources are at your disposal, I do encourage you to find what is there. In the States, it's 988. Um, that's one avenue, but resources and what helps us in supporting us is different for everyone like i said dr reshe people say better than i do um sean stevenson says it this way communication is merely an exchange of information but connection is exchange of our humanity can you share a little bit of what your thought what are your thoughts of this quote is yeah it, well i think i uh started off with um, a quote from uh, the great Emil Durkheim, um, who noticed the industrialization of uh, this, this is the end of the 19th century and people were moving away from the farmlands and into the cities. Mm-hmm. And when they were in the fields, whole families would work together and whole communities worked together and supported each other. But in the cities, people could be living right next to each other. And then the city got even bigger. And um, it's almost like living a, living in a shoebox in the sky, you know, a concrete mm-hmm. shoebox in the sky. And uh, you don't know who's up there, you don't know who's down there, or who's yeah. there, who's there. So... You see them in the lift. Do you commu- communicate? Mm-hmm. Yes, you know. But is there a connection? Well, <laughs> that's a strange kind of connection if you say there was. So, I would have to agree with uh, Mr. Stevenson on on that one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. and I think it's um, you know, I think we have so many ways to connect to each other, but we don't. <laughs> you know, like, even um, though we, you know, before even to call someone over the phone to another country was like very expensive. It was very, you know, but now, you know, it's at our tips of our phone, but we don't really communicate. And the one thing I noticed before COVID, I see families all around the table at dinner. They haven't seen each other for ages and mm. they're all. Phones. They're not connected. They're 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 there, but they're not there. So I find this um, <laughs> this level of 
connectedness. The tools are there, but you know, we, like you said, like and like Stevenson said, that there's there's information exchange maybe, but connection takes presence. Like I'm here with you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not and, yeah, uh, it's a skill that I feel is kind of unfortunately I don't see often enough. Um, I think it's part of why I choose to live. Sorry to, but if yeah, I cut you off there, I think it's partly why I choose to live in Bali, where I could be making a great deal more money if I lived in, say, Bangkok or uh, Singapore or Australia um, or England, uh, where I spent most of my life. Um, I think I was telling a, a quick story about an American gentleman who was riding a bike that was too powerful for him and he lost mm -hmm. control of it and it just went in the ditch and he was standing by the side of the road, you know, scraped up and once I'd made sure, ascertained that he was not in any way, he hadn't hit his head and needed an ambulance. I just blocked off the traffic using my bike and mm. I didn't have to do anything. Three chaps just got off their bikes and because he was asking me if I knew a number for a tow company or a AAA or that, mm. the four of us just jumped into the paddy field and I said, mm. you can come and help us as well if you like. So he jumps in as well and we just mm. lifted the bike up. Mm -hmm. onto the road, put it on the road, you know, mm. uh, dusted off all the water and stuff like that, make sure that, made sure the engine was dry um, or as dry as possible, you know, and it would dry once he got, got the thing going. Turned the ignition, the bike was on. And I still remember the look on his face. He said, Do you know, in America, that would never happen. Nobody, if they saw you with your bike, in a, with your you know, motorbike in a ditch, nobody would stop you to stop to help you. Mm. You're on your own. And uh, there's the feeling of community, uh, you know, so I mean, I have a lady staying with me at the moment um, you know, I'm single, uh, well, I'm div divorced more accurately. Mm. I have a lady staying with me and, uh, I don't know her, but I do know that she's a very, uh, good pal of, um, someone very dear to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's enough. And mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Again, it's the same disbelief, you know, yeah. what, you're not going to charge me for any of this, you know, can I pay mm -hmm. for us? And it's just, no, this mm. is, this is how we do things. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, the, yeah. And, and that is taken directly from how the Balinese live, from their culture, mm. from their, yeah. uh, their way of life and how they see the world and what's important to them. That's, mm. It's taken directly from them, which I, which I find uh, alarmingly beautiful. It, it's, 
Yeah. Yeah, and you know, back in the, I would say when I, when I used to see something, someone and superficially be like, "How are you doing?" They're like, "I'm okay." That's usually a conversation or something like that. But now, I've noticed a shift to how busy we are. Like, oh, how's everything? Oh, I'm busy. Everyone's super busy doing a lot of things. I'm like, and it's no longer how it's the measurement of my value is how busy I am. Like. I just remember just some of the harder times I, and what I, I'll just say it this way, Dr. Rishi, I do my best work when I slow down. When I'm going, like when I'm trying to do everything at once, when I'm so busy and so self-important, I, I tend to stumble a lot more and I st- tend to lose sight of what I'm actually trying to do. And I feel a lot of times the conversation I have, especially working in the mental health field myself, is the level of urgency. No one slows down enough. Everyone's constantly afraid. You know, like of, of and their their I would say their value sometimes, not all the time, or their concern is always external. They never take that self talk to talk to themselves. Why does this matter? Mm-hmm. They never ask the question, why am I you know, not to say the situations they're in may be difficult, I'm not minimizing, but at the same time, it's always outward. They never ask themselves, well, why is this bothering me? Why Why is this so important to me? And sometimes that self-talk, I feel, is because they don't feel they have the opportunity. I feel sometimes it can be a huge barrier of them moving forward. I want to ask you, yeah. switching gears, is... When thinking about support today, and what played a positive impact in maintaining a healthy connection with your with our support? Like, what what advice have you seen, and what has not helped? I guess is what I'm asking. In, in preface, well, what I think helps in maintaining a healthy connection. I mean, the first one is just uh, good old time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you have to. Because time, uh, you know, it says a number of things to the other person. First of all, it says, I'm willing to sacrifice something to come mm-hmm. and meet you. And the other thing yeah. it says is that you're, in, you're important. So yeah. time, uh, uh, so, me, you know, that would be uh, uh, a critical factor, I think. Mm-hmm. And I also think... Uh, well, I always think quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, I'm not one. You know, sometimes I am, but but I'm I'm an introvert anyway. I'm not one for big, 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 big gatherings, which mm. they quite like here. You know, this this is a mm. place where you know everyone's on the beach at night, and yeah. Um, but it's it's where I can, and as a mental health professional, you'll know exactly what I mean, where I can take on board what somebody says mm-hmm. and I can reflect back to them in a way that they know I've heard them and mm-hmm. that I've picked out the mm-hmm. bits that were really important to them. Not the laugh or the mm-hmm. yeah you know, but the but the thing that's really important and that yeah. 
really solidifies the connection in therapy as it does in mm. any connection. Um, and I, I point to those, to those two things, you know, yeah. and the other obvious things, you know, doing, doing stuff together, you know, I'm mm. very, very much more connected to my Indonesian pals on the surf front because I surf with them. I don't surf with the, what we call the Pules, you know, the foreigners. Mm. I mean, most of whom are from Australia and Europe. You know, they don't they don't look like me. I'm mm -hmm. I'm very very unusual in that <laughs> I look Balinese, but I I'm not, and I don't sound it, even though I can speak the language. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's going out and doing stuff. But I'd say it's the first two. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, time, you know, and. Uh, the ability to really listen. Yeah. I think that would be it for me. Yeah. yeah and I, 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 I do, you know, time is, you know, if you, if you give the presence, if you're not looking at your watch, it, it deflates the conversation. I could be talking to you or someone, especially in a crisis situation or they're just having a bad day. And then I'm like, I'm just yeah. keep looking at my phone. It's like, well, are you here? Or you're not, you know. Sometimes, especially those tense moments, um, it could, it feels very much like you're not heard. And then at the same time, like you mentioned, when the person's able to reflect on what you said at the core, mm -hmm. not at the fluff, it's 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 you know, communication is a lot about listening, not so much about talking. So if you're able to yeah, kind of really hear the if, the person. Um, you, you could draw a little bit closer. I, I do. I do feel the struggle, especially me being in the states, is the level of urgency, of 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 busyness. Busy to be busy. I, a lot of times I ask my clients, "What, what hobby do you like? What do you do for fun?" Right? And they they a lot of times, especially during the crisis situation or whatever they're going through, is like, "I'm allowed to? Like, I have to do all these tangible goals before I could." I'm like, well, you know, and then you get other people who are like, well, I would want to do this hobby that's so unreachable. They have, you know, there's something like right in front of them, like maybe a guitar that they never touch anymore versus I want to do mountain biking, which they don't have a mountain bike. They haven't <laughs> like, so they're making more barriers. I, I always try to encourage those who I work with. Try to find ones the, the things you like with the least amount of boundaries or barriers, so you can kind of be consistent. Start from there and go outward. Because hobbies, as silly as it is, I feel um, can help. At least for me, when it comes to as weird as it is, as it comes to communicating. If it's always about something else or someone else, and it's never about you, how can you really communicate? And how can you really connect? If you're not really connecting yeah. with yourself, so I find that that uh, for me also has been helpful when building healthy c connections. Um, yeah. Because at the at the core, I may not understand the person's what they're going through, but I understand what sadness feels like. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have to. I I will never say that I know what you're going through, but empathy is something that I feel is an ongoing process, a skill that you learn. 
Um, it's, but at the same time, it's also very useful to kind of really connect a little bit deeper. I'd like to give um, a lot of my new guest, Dr. Rishi, an opportunity to share a little bit about your story, unaltered, whatever you feel comfortable with as we kind of continue to proceed. And yeah, go ahead. The floor is yours, Dr. Rishi. Okay. Well, I was born in the early 1970s um, to mixed race parents. Um, I grew, I was born in Singapore and grew up, I spent my early years there and then eventually uh, went to school in England, uh, boarding school and then after that, I mean I was a fairly bright boy and this is something that I think is worth highlighting because the assumption that was made at the time, and I think is still being made, is if you've got a, well, let's use the US system, okay? If you've got a kid with a 4.0 GPA, mm -hmm. that kid by definition doesn't have any problems. You know, that kid is just, mm -hmm. right? You know, by definition, that kid is doing absolutely just fine. Leave leave the kid alone um that you know you couldn't be <laughs> you just couldn't be more wrong um mm -hmm. and looking back now i now realize that the signs <clears throat> that things were, were starting to go very badly wrong for me were there mm -hmm. but people only saw the grades mm -hmm. and they were good so they didn't bother with the rest. So medical school and uh, uh, becoming a doctor. And I, mean, I I've just written a book, and I, you know, I, I can't go through the whole sequence mm -hmm. of events. Uh, don't have enough time for that. But you know, there was one particular incident that caused the whole facade, if you like, you know, caused mm -hmm. the whole, my whole, uh, you know, the bits of plaster and sticky tape that held me together just mm. all fell apart, all mm. in one go. Mm. Uh, and it started off a very rapid descent into mm. a life of alcoholism mm. and drug addiction uh you know i i mean i'm very very open about this now uh, mm. you know eventually when i came to the end of what i hope was my addiction uh, for the last time um you know i was homeless on the streets of london hopelessly mm. addicted to heroin and crack cocaine so mm. uh it was a it was a spectacular descent yeah and uh on the 9th of may sorry on the 8th of may uh 2011 that's the last time i drank 
Mm. The last time I injected anything or smoked uh, anything illegal or mm. anything like that. And here I am today. So that's the that's really the backdrop. Mm. And when I came back into when I came back uh, to to re like to get re licensed as a doctor is not an easy thing, particularly where substances are concerned, because you're the guy with the prescription pass, mm. right? Yeah. You know, you could you could have a lot of fun with that, and I did. Mm. Um, so you have to go through five years of very rigorous, uh, continuous urine testing, hair samples, you know, all the all the works and um, psychometric. Uh, it, you know, continuous psychometric evaluations, all sorts of uh, regulations for five continuous years, at the end of which you would be examined by two fellowship level psychiatrists who would both have to concur that you were fit to practice. And then the fitness to practice directorate would allow you to practice under very heavy supervision for mm. six months. And if you did okay, then they would lighten, light, lighten the, the, the handcuffs a little for mm -hmm. another six months. But essentially for two years, you would be under some kind of supervision before mm -hmm. you went back to being a physician again. Mm. And I remember that day arrived that I worked for and you know it's like yes going back to my career this is what I'm here on the planet for um, but by that point things had changed you know I found mm. the world of psychology I found the world of neuroscience I most important of all I found the world of trauma mm -hmm. and uh, which just fascinated me endlessly mm -hmm. um, both on a personal as well as a professional level mm. and you know it was a classic fork in the road and I had to make a choice and I remember thinking to myself rather grandly if you know if, mm. if, <laughs> if it could be said put that way I can either go off and be um a reasonably decent physician, you know, good doctor, mm. caring doctor, can either go off and do that, or I could go off and have the potential to become an exceptional, you know, trauma psychologist, a traumatologist, mm. psychologist. Not that I will, but but that the potential was there for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why I say rather, you know, maybe a bit of grandiosity there. Mm -hmm. But um, at the time, I thought that to myself, and I thought, well, that that that's not choice. Mm -hmm. So uh, much to the surprise and consternation of family, friends, and 
just about everybody, I said, no, I'm not going back to, med to medicine. I'm mm -hmm. going back to school <laughs> and uh, <laughs> retrained as a psychologist and um, also you know, did a master's in neuroscience and psychology and uh, did all the training for uh, the trauma work that I do, you know, the EMDR and all that, you know, it, it just got narrower and narrower to like, got to where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, spent years working for the institutions in this part of the world that have the best outfits for that. You know, so like mm. the, uh, you know, the trauma team, at the cabin in uh, Chiang Mai. The cabin is Asia's largest rehab, probably most luxurious as well. They had a standalone trauma program. And I was, to call this luck is to uh, give luck a bad name. I mean, it's really to understate it because when I was there, two of the finest traumatologists happened to be taking a sabbatical and both were at this center and mm -hmm. so i had not one but two masters to learn from mm. and you know and they were they were very generous with their with their knowledge and their skill and you know when it became apparent to them that I was very keen and I wanted to learn this. I think their attitude to me was, well, if you really want to learn this, I'll teach you. Hmm. you know, I'll, show, I'll show you how to do this. Hmm. You know, you're going to have to really work, work, you know, your socks off. But if you hmm. really want to do it, you know, so the deep generosity of these men hmm. and, uh, some very good fortune and eventually I was uh, promoted and I was back in Singapore and I was running their outfit in Singapore and <clears throat> that just got better and better and better and by this point you know it happens in any clinical specialty you start to get known you know, mm -hmm. people who've been to see you and gotten well, you know, somebody mm -hmm. needs a therapist, they go, go and see this guy. And the word mm -hmm. kind of goes around, right? For mm -hmm. something like that, uh, a personal recommendation carries far more weight than any slick marketing or any slick, because. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, it's such a personal thing mm -hmm. and so I developed enough of my own uh, reputation to be able to go off my own mm. and so I did and um, once I did and set things up in such a way that I could work oh, you know, various telemedicine platforms you know now we have zoom we have all kinds of things but mm. back then this 
2017. Nobody was doing that. Mm. Uh, but mm. you know, if I didn't if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be able to live in Bali. So mm. uh, moved over there, started with that, and then wasn't intending to take on any local uh, expat clients, but then took on my took on two of them. Mm. And it just so happened to be that they, these two were the most connected and the most loudmouth individuals in the whole community. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it just, just so happened. And before I knew it, I had people banging down my door and mm -hmm. suddenly, suddenly, you know, um, we were up and running and yeah. that's where I am now. Yeah. There's, um, obviously, um, no one, I, most people know, like the knowledge is, is, you know, there, but a lot of times we all know that there's a great need when it comes to, you, just, you don't have to go far. You just go down the street. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, I was, you know, I think it's kind of, um, especially the marketing slick marketing i i know especially in the states um being a veteran myself i know it's kind of look at my dad he was in vietnam <laughs> me i was i was i served during 9-11 and i'm just thinking you know there's a lot of fanfare when it comes to veterans but you just go down the street and you see a couple veterans with no resources nothing and a lot, a lot of times i'm not saying there are gaps. Let's just be honest. So the need is there. Is what I'm saying. There is definitely need, and I feel well, culturally it's catching up in weird ways. You know, I'm ha my mom's South Korean, my dad's Puerto Rican, so I kind of am a mixed bag. So I understand different cultures of how they see this kind of stuff, yeah. and whether they even recognize it or not. Um, the point is, it's still there. You know, you always have that one uncle, one cousin that no one talks about. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I feel now we're trying to find ways that, to communicate with them. It's it's one of the things that we're always playing catch up. But I feel communication, you know, even if you're not in the field, even just working at wherever, your communication is a skill, which I always like to say is something that's learned. You know, it's nothing you're inherently just by happenstance and I didn't learn how to communicate just because I was around people. I could be around a lot of people and not communicate well at all. Proximity doesn't do it. It's how we go about it. My track coach back in high school, he was um, back when I was, he used to say practice makes permanent. It doesn't make it perfect. So if you, make it, if you do it wrong, it will kind of make you do it the wrong. So it's, it's really being aware, self-aware of how you're communicating. And, um, how you connect i know for one um you know the love languages they have the whole for me um acts of service so i appreciate when someone comes but other people like to be you know how you say um they like uh, positive affirmation i don't because i feel I, i'm kind of i get i kind of go on my shell because i don't especially it goes by the level of how much i know the person i'm like why are you appreciating me so much? I barely know you. But if you come and help me, like, 
you know, working on my car and you try to help me shine a light, I appreciate that so much more. <laughs> it's just different, you know, yeah. different things. Um, mm. George Bernard Shaw says it this way, the single's biggest problem in communication is the illusion that has taken place. I think, what do you think about this quote? Mm. Well, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I can't, I can't know this, but I suspect that he may have borrowed, mm. you know, a bit of it from uh, uh, Karl Marx's um, introduction to his critique of Hegel's philosophy of right. I mean, mm -hmm. the you know the the passage roughly goes it's the it's the famous one you know where he says you know that religion is the opium of the masses but it's completely taken out of context so if i read the whole thing he starts off by saying uh you know religion is you know the sigh of the oppressed creature the heart in a heartless world, the soul for a spiritless condition, an opium for the mass for the masses. Right? To demand that we give up these illusions is the demand to give up the conditions that require these illusions in the first place. Mm -hmm we you know our our aim should not not be to seek to wrench from these wrench from from men and women their illusions so that they be forced to bear the chain without illusions but mm. to break the chain mm -hmm. and no longer need have the need for illusion you know and um and he was he was talking about something different but there's enough in that 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 says to me you know Shaw would have read that and thought mm, that's that's good i'll use a bit of that um no it's a it's a it's um If, I mean, if it was relevant in Shaw's day, it is, I mean, <laughs> 10 times more so today because yeah. as far as I I see, I, I don't own a television. I, mm. Mm. Um, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and I went to a boarding school where there were no televisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you were a small brown kid like I was you spent a lot of time hiding out in the library you know so my my television is a book that takes me into a into a fantasy world mm. um yeah and uh I think uh yeah you, just, when you have yeah go ahead sorry. sorry when you have when you have illusion in in, in place communication um 
I think what he's really saying is um, you have something that you think you have, but you don't versus yeah. something that's real, you know, in the same yeah. way that Mark said, yeah. I, I think that that's the worry of the complacent attitude of connecting. Like, well, I, you know, like you, you, you know, you, we may have conversations with those we love or people we care about, but it's very, uh, we, we don't want to dive deeper. I think Thomas Lloyd, he, he says every answer can be followed by another question. It's like, we're not as curious anymore. It's like, well, he's okay. We like to generalize because <laughs> it's easier. Everyone's this way because it's easier to fit in a box. But as you know, it's not that easy. I think the best way to communicate is creatively. You know, how we are creative and how we tell our stories. One of the best modes of communication is through a story. You know, the, with a, and the basic part of that story is the character. Why do we care about this? You can have the setting. It's all nice. But what we really care about is a good character because we can relate to them. And that's how it's communicated. Music's the same way. A good song, we can listen to it, and it has a deeper connection. We understand this. We like movies. We like good stories. But when we think about communication, it's just like you said, like in the turn of when we're going to the globalization, we're just like, okay, I just need to know what the weather is. Where, where is the tack? Where is the tow truck? But really, we don't really thrive for anything more than that. And um it can lead to well, at least for me when we're talking about connecting um um when we're talking about um connecting with our support it can be difficult it can be almost daunting and you know, like in the beginning mm. i remember saying um very simply i always have a disclaimer find what in your crisis find help i think finding help can be the hardest thing if you're not able to connect with your support or even know what support you have out there i know that for one is part of that closing the gap as you know world cancer day is, is in february but anything we deal with uh, i think the the pro the people the people we may have very complex issues but the reasons why we do it are simple it's like it's funny you have this um complicated issue of well my brother or my cousin he's just going through so much but the reason i do it because i love him I want him to do well. I don't know how that'll look. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas, but it's just that kind of, you know, thing. So I don't know. Um, I want to ask you kind of, I know we're, this has been really great. If I can, if I can just add one little anecdote to the, to the last question. I mean, I had the good fortune to uh, have dinner with a, a very nice lady uh, yesterday, we met for the first time, and we sat at the dining table. You know, this this is Bali, so absolutely everything is outstanding food-wise. Mm. And we spent the best part of three hours uh, trying to get one up on each other over nature, or. Uh, who else did we do? Um, yeah, Nietzsche, Kant, 
And then we moved into the 20th century, you know, where we talked about Arendt, and then that led us to Heidegger. Was he a Nazi or was he a Nazi sympathizer? And it's like, who the hell cares? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, he, Nazi, Nazi sympathizer, you know, bad. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, now we, spoke uh, fluidly and candidly and you know it was a beautifully fluid conversation for three hours but is that communication or is it the illusion of one i say it's the illusion of one hmm. because you know i'm there to show you how clever I am mm -hmm. and I'm here and once I've picked up on that I'm here to say no 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 that's you've got it the wrong way around you know <laughs> so so you it, if you looked at us from the outside you would have gone that date is just going absolutely brilliantly because these guys can't stop talking they just scrape back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth you know and uh you know talking about <clears throat> which year you know Nietzsche got syphilis and it's I mean <laughs> this <laughs> stuff yeah um you know did he end his life in this sanatorium or that sanatorium. It was just, uh, it was the illusion of communication. It's so, and the reason why I wanted to, to add that, uh, to tack that onto the end is that it can be very dangerous because it can make you think that I'm really communicating. I mean, we're talking about philosophy here. We're talking, you know, some real stuff, but we're not. We're not mm -hmm. really communicating because <clears throat> the critical ingredient that's that's missing, as you and I, as you would you would almost certainly know, is uh, authenticity. Mm. There's nothing authentic about it, mm -hmm. right? and authenticity, were it to be pursued um, honestly, would eventually lead to a point of vulnerability and then it's well once you're at that point what do you do are you going to cross the rubicon or not um was there was there a discussion yes was it enjoyable fantastic did we end the night well we ended the night extremely well um you know yeah it was a it was really really fun but there was no communication because there was no there was nothing authentic about you know and i was mm -hmm. as guilty as she was mm -hmm. it's 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 easier it's easier to talk about things that, like you said um you have those those you know talks with your friends those late nighters or whatever but you're really talking about everything else besides what's right in front of you each other like anything really deeper and it, it can be scary i think dale carnegie is kind of kind of says it this way it says it 
isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It's what you think about. I think sometimes um, we don't put enough weight on how we see things. A lot of times you guys situation where the fact is this didn't happen. I'm with a client and but that person's feels it did happen. Mm. So where we are we yeah. now? So like, well, well, do we dismiss the person who does who we factually see that didn't happen? No, because the fact that person feels is as real as the person who thinks it well has a fact. So this creates a conundrum because you're like, well, is it am i communicating or no you're not because the real thing is is this person whether you even though you have the information that is fact it still is impacting them just like it is fact so that is where uh, i feel loosening and kind of i don't know thinking that you're seeing the person as a person not as this person like you're competing with understand hey maybe this you know this person you know, I know he's been going through a lot or something. Get some context. We have a lot of the pieces already, especially with someone we know. But we usually just throw them away. <laughs> They're already in the back of our mind. We're not even using those contexts. We're just like, well, this person's wrong. I need to tell them that they're wrong. And a lot of times, you know, it, it blow up in your face because you don't know what they had happened that day. They may have a really bad time and they really feel this way you're now creating a barrier between you and that person because it's more important to be right the rightness of yourself is more important it's almost like your value is how right you are and i feel communication is less about that it's more about connecting and i feel mm. we've been kind of saying that so true. um the so whole true. time <laughs> mm. i want to ask you as yeah. we kind of wrap things up what have you seen personally that helped build a better self-awareness for yourself and those you work with? Um, I don't know. I know self-awareness is kind of coined a lot, but what have you seen helped build a better self-awareness? Well, this, this is going to be a bit of a strange answer, but I think that what's helped me build a better self-awareness are actually the people I work with, my mm -hmm. clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are my greatest teachers. They are, uh, you know, I weep with them. I, you know, if you're, if you're doing real therapy as opposed to staying within the confines of counseling, then you are allowing yourself to take on some of what your client's feeling is feeling because unless you have some approximation of how they're feeling you cannot know what it feels like to be them right mm. um, and uh, you know going through their journeys and seeing how they pull the shattered parts of their life together and how they do it and how uh the human mind is just this incredible machine. And, you know, just when you think uh, this, this person is just, you know, work with them for two years, 
you know, we've barely moved an inch, you know, uh, you know, maybe I need to think about suggesting a referral or something and then bang, something will happen Mm -hmm. and everything's changed. So personally, self-awareness, it would be my clients. You know, yeah. I always think of what happens in the therapy rooms and I always think, don't be so sure of yourself because mm-hmm. you know, the capacity of people to surprise you, you will know, is unreal. Yeah. Um, what has not been, uh, um, or what has been a, um, a barrier to developing self-awareness. Um, insularity, insularity in the sense that um, you know, uh, I only I only want to go to certain types of functions. I only want to be around Mm -hmm. certain types of people. I only want to Mm. communicate with, you know, very exclusionary, uh, some would say, uh, you know, very, very snobbish. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, they might have a point. Um, Yeah, but that, that it being, being very insular and just thinking, I've got my world. You know, I've got all the pieces. They work great for me. Now everybody else, get the hell out. You know, that yeah. that's an extremely insular way. And it and when I'm deep in that, I do not see anything, you know, past the nose in front of my face. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just want to um, share this one scenario, and then I'm gonna ask your final thoughts. Um, I had, you know, I, I I'm a leader in my church, so one thing I noticed is someone could come up and say, you know, we're speaking World Cancer Day. Someone could say, uh, my mom beat cancer. You see this, and only hear a lot of amens and all that. But what mm. you don't notice, I remember this one illustration was the person who runs, who gets out of there crying and going to the foyer, going to the front of church. She felt extremely not heard because she just lost her family member last week. <laughs> you see, there, there is this, like, someone's good news and someone's bad news, and people don't realize this. When you're in leader, when you're dealing with, when you're working with people, um, it's it's complicated it's messy and when i i remember always reminding myself especially when i'm working with people um someone's good news can be reflected of something they lost we just went through the holidays could be one of the hardest times for people because it's a reminder of the extra placemat that no longer is needed the extra chair that no one's sitting in all this can be reflective so uh, my point to those who are listening is what you say does matter who you connect how you connect matters and it also will help not only you know you mentioned it it was you know i learned the most from my clients tell you the truth i i totally i'm very much on the same um line with you i it's it's 
it's something very honest when you're connecting at that level. And I learned more from them than I would learn anything I learned in a book or anything else. Because mm-hmm. it really, it's people meeting people where they're at. And I just want to ask you, as we wrap up, and it's been a wonderful talk, is final thoughts you want to share with those listening? I know that you you could also share um, uh, any, like, like, if you have... Anything you want to share that they could look like? I remember you saying you wrote a book. We'll put the links in the notes so that they could check it out. But any mm. final thoughts you want to share with those listening right now as we wrap up? Well, I, I don't want to be, you know, too hucksterish and pluck the book and all that because you'll put the link, link in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think following the theme of your uh podcast you know what you obviously feel is important and uh to go along that um my thoughts coming away from it would be uh a healthy re-examination of the connections in my life mm-hmm. because it's very easy to take them for granted mm-hmm. which i which i've done on more occasions than i can count and you know to cat in some cases to catastrophic effect mm-hmm. and i think uh you know if i'd one if I, if I have one thought from this uh lovely chat with you it would be you know connectedness as an expression of uh, human attachment is probably the single most important survival mechanism we have. Don't take it for granted. Pay attention to it. You know, make time for it. Um, meditate on it. Pray on it. Uh, you know, yeah. I just yeah, want to say that. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts. Revivementsfl.com is in, is our website. You can find all links to all the other platforms like YouTube and we have on Instagram and also just the podcast itself. Um, you can see all the episodes there. This is goodbye from Revivementsly Podcast. Leaving with this last quote. It's Latsu. It says, A man with outward courage dares to die. A man with inner courage dares to live. 